Please stand for a reading of the word from Luke 15. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I'll say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years, I've been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you've never given me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property and with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then his father said to him, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The word of the Lord, please be seated. Aaron, don't leave yet, please. I have a couple of questions for you. Uh, you all know Aaron May, right? She senior this year? Yes. Um, education major, what education, kind? Education, elementary. Elementary. What, what grade do you want to teach? Uh, little, kindergartner first. That's sweet. Mm -hmm. I, I have almost a kindergartner, so that's nice. Um, so I have a couple of questions, though, before you, before we begin. It's about counting. You're also a koji, right? Yes, I am. Yes, that's some woots. Um, <laughs> uh, how many times, it, since you've been there, have the kojis won a sing-song award? The last three years in a row. Last three years in a row. Three. And, uh, and you play Words with Friends, right? Sometimes. Sometimes you play Fortnite? Not really. Okay, give me something you play so we can make this work. Um, that um, Game Pigeon 8-Ball game. Anybody know that one? Game Pigeon 8-Ball. All right. Yeah. Nobody knows it, but how many times have you won that, that game? I don't know. Don't know? No idea. All right. How many Kojis are there? 
176. How many socks are in your sock drawer? I have no idea. Fair enough. How many times have you earned an A? Quite a few. Could How many? I don't really know. All right. How many times have you earned a C? Once. One C. One C. U.S. history. Oh. Uh, how many times have you earned a D? Zero. All right. Zero. That's good. It's better than me. All right. So uh, in, the, in the story before this story, the prodigal that you wore, read, there's another story in Luke 15. It's about sheep. Do you remember that story? Yeah. Okay. How many sheep are in the sheep story? A hundred. One hundred. You're right. And they lose and they one. They lose the one. And then Shepherd the goes and gets it. Right, right, right. Ninety-nine and one. And how many, there's another story of a woman who loses a coin. How many coins did she have? Ten. Ten. She loses one, mm -hmm. cleans up her house, finds it, then she has ten again. We count, thank you, Aaron. Let's thank, thank Aaron you. for being up here today. The point of that is pretty clear. We count what matters to us. We count what matters to us. I, um, I went to the gun show at the Civic Center yesterday to use the bathroom. And, um, and I, was, I was amazed by, I was just kind of outside the door and looking in with my two boys. And I was amazed by the number of people who were bringing guns into the gun show, not, I guess, just for show and tell. Um, and and it, it occurred to me, it reminded me of my uncle, my uncle Richie. My Uncle Richie got a, a gun license uh, to sell guns, not because he wanted to sell them, but just it would allow him to own more guns. My Uncle Richie knows exactly how many guns he has. He could probably list them. I could tell you that I have every single book that Neil Stevenson has written, and two of them are signed. I'm kind of proud of that. I know that I have two signed ones. I could tell you that I, I collect um, Stephen King first editions, and I, I, there's, a, there's seven of them that I still need. I could tell you the seven that I need. I could not, like Aaron, tell you how many socks I have in my sock drawer. I could, however, tell you how many times my father told me he loved me before he died. There were 100 sheep there were 10 coins. But at the beginning of this story of the prodigal, the father has no sons. He has a slave. He has a prodigal. But neither are sons. We count what's important to us. And when we're missing something, like a lost sheep or a lost coin, and we find one short, we go and we find it. Let's pray together. Father God, we are grateful to be gathered here today, and I'm grateful for the energy in this room. It brings our hearts joy to be gathered together to experience your love and to be reminded of your grace and to sing songs that extol your name. And let our lives be that offering of praise. Father, we renounce the evil one in all of their wicked ways. We renounce evil wherever we see it, in our nation and in our city and in ourselves. And we pray for those that have been victims of evil and sin, and even just tragedy. And Father, now as we turn our hearts to your word and we hear about your 
enduring love, that reckless, relentless love that chases us. Open our hearts and our minds. Let us hear your, your fresh gospel again. To that end, pour through me the gift of preaching that I might speak your truth and love to these, your people. And it's together that the church says, amen. So at the beginning of this chapter in Luke, the whole thing is set up by this, this simple deal. The Pharisees have trouble. They've got a beef with who Jesus eats with. And so he tries to tell them a story. My favorite things that Jesus says in, in the Gospels are his stories, his parables. And there's two that have kind of risen to the top, the story of the Good Samaritan and the story of the prodigal, because it kind of captures the essence of what it means to be a follower of God. On one sense, we ask the question, who is our neighbor and who does that call us to love? The other is, who is God and how does God love us? And at the beginning of this story, we see that the father divides his possessions and, and gives them to his sons with no strings attached. What a bold move is it for this boy, in effect saying, I wish to live as if you were already dead. And Jesus is telling this story. You can imagine these Pharisees are having visceral reactions to the beginning of this story. Because this is not the way you behave toward a father. And with the sheep and the coin, everybody's with Jesus. They all get it. You know, because that's how you'd expect rational people to behave. And there's even kindness in the way that the shepherd puts the livestock on his neck to carry it home. Some tenderness as opposed to kicking it as retribution for his frustration. I've spent blocks chasing my cat. When that cat was found, I was not as kind as the shepherd. Did not put it over my neck. And then there is the woman rejoicing with her friends, throwing a party to celebrate her discovery. The son asks for the share of inheritance now. And there's this commentary to the Old Testament called the Talmud. And it's kind of the, the rabbi's take on what does it mean to follow God. And, and one of the rabbis says, there's three people who cry out and don't get answered. There are three people whose phones do not get answered. It's people who loan money with no witnesses. It's people who acquire masters for themselves, which he later defines as those who give away their property to their kids while you're still alive. If you do that, you're going to cry out and nobody's going to care. Maybe around people here, people who don't get a call back are those who didn't put ACU to beat Texas in their brackets. Oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> what the son is asking for isn't just inheritance. It's not a bank account. It's land. And you have to remember what this, what this means to an Israelite. The land is the gift from God given to your ancestors. Every tribe had their share of land. Every family had their share of land. This is God's gift. Every kid in school was taught the lineage and legacy of God's gift to their family. And he doesn't just sell it. He sells it quickly. He's trying to get out of there as fast as he can. He's not getting a great offer. He's going to get a low offer. You count what matters to you, but you also don't count what doesn't. And here's what dawns on the reader. Here's what dawned on me this week as I spent time in this text. The grave insult to the father, I wish you were dead, give me, what I, give me my inheritance now, 
isn't the beginning of the tragedy of the story. The counting has already happened, and the father knows his son is already lost. Him giving half of himself and giving it away to his son is the beginning of the return. And the son goes out and wastes it. Nobody's surprised about that. Somebody that would be so bold to ask for that money quickly is not going to make wise choices or invest it. And he ends up broke in a land that he doesn't knows no one. And then there's a complete catastrophe of having a, a famine at the same time. And so he asks for a job. And they give him a job, but it's kind of a joke. I mean, pig feeding for a Jew is the most abhorrent job you could possibly imagine. The only reason the people of that community offer him that job is because they don't want him there. They want him to go away. Sure, they would tolerate him when he was buying everybody drinks, but now that he's broke, just get out of here. It's the kind of job you offer to somebody when you want them to resign because firing them means that you have to pay their unemployment. But he takes the job. Maybe because it's not ready, he's not ready to go back. Maybe it's because he has nowhere else to go. But in my imagination as I hear this story, I think it's because he wants to keep his pride and refuse the need for grace. Well, as most of us experience, when you have to choose between your pride and your stomach, eventually hunger wins. And so he makes himself this little speech that he prepares as he's walking himself home and he's working up the courage to get there. And, and, and so he says, you know, Father, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. Just make me one of your servants or one of your slaves. And here's a piece you might want to know. In the, in the ancient Near East, there were three types of slaves. There were the, the doulos, these were um, hired servants, and uh, they were not hired. They were more than part, they're bondsmen. They were part of the family. They were part of the estate. When They would be part of inheritance when, when things passed, but they were almost family. And, and the, the owner of the estate was obligated to take care of those people. There was mutual agreement in what was going on. And then there was another kind of subordinate to the doulos. It was kind of a lesser slave that existed in that same time. And then there was the hired hand. Now, the hired hand was different than, than the doulos, than the other slaves, the bondsmen, because they could take the job and then they could leave the job. They never lose their freedom or their autonomy or their position in society. They just are working. And in my experience in, in California, you saw this all over the place during harvest time. That there were, there were people that would follow the harvest up and down the Central Valley of California doing the work that the farmers needed them to do. And those people would work for days' wages or weeks' wages. There were some agreements typically about we'll be given a place to stay and sometimes uh, food. Uh, but when the harvest was done, those people moved on. And some of those workers loved that because what they wanted was their freedom. As opposed to most of the rest of us that were working, that you're kind of obligated to your employer to do certain things for them, and they were obligated to do certain things for you, and there was an agreement or a contract that existed between these people. The prodigal wants to be a hired hand. He doesn't ask to be a, a doulos. Because, again, in the imagination of I'm digging in this story, 
He kind of wants a little bit of that independence. His social status would not be inferior to that of his brother or his father. And most importantly, in his own mind, I imagine he's kind of telling himself that fantasy that I can work this all off. The prodigal is a flat character in the story. In the beginning, he's selfish and wants what he wants. In the middle, he's selfish and wants what he wants. And even as he's on the road back to his father's house, we see him as selfish that wants what he wants. I love the notion of repentance here, but I just don't see it. Not from the son, at least until the father speaks. The father in this story is the most dynamic character that you see. In fact, when the sun is still, the prodigal is still on the horizon coming towards town, we see a father running to his son. He's filled with compassion in his heart and he runs. And we've, we've said this before that uh, a rich man does not run in the ancient Near East because time depends on them. They're never late because when they arrive is exactly when they choose to arrive. And a rich man would have a, a nice robe, a good clothes, and those, those robes would go all the way down to his ankles and they would be ornate. For a man like this that owns property, who has the ability to give some of it away and still survive to one of his sons, he is rich. Which means that father had a nice robe, which means he had to pull that robe up in order to run, and he's hanging on to it with one hand. He is exposing his legs. If this would be me, I would say he is exposing his white, pasty legs. What's important to notice there is that he is embarrassing himself. He's embarrassing himself by exposing his legs, he's embarrassing himself by running. The father bears the weight of the shame of the son. Why does he do it? Well, there's a, there's a tradition, again, in the Midrash, and there's no examples of this actually happening, but rabbis tell the story so that we assume that it does. It's called the kazazah. And it was a ritual that, that a community would perform to kind of shun away somebody that did something bad. So if you, if you married the wrong woman, a woman of low estate or, or disrepute, they would perform this ritual and it would, it would have a jar that was breakable and they'd fill it with burnt nuts, smelly nuts, and they would break it in front of that person and say, in the way that this jar was broken, so our relationship is broken. And until the, uh, the, the person divorced that woman that they shouldn't have married in the first part, they are shunned. The same ritual can happen for a person who sells the land to a Gentile. I think the father runs because he has to get to his son first. Because if the village gets there first, the village that has seen this happen, the village that shares the frustration, the village that shares the anger that this kid would be so obsidian to his father, they're ready to perform the ritual and they're ready to get rid of him. And so the father runs. The father has been pursuing the son since the beginning of the story. He never stops. He never deviates course, only does what God does. And he reveals the divine nature, relentlessly pursuing the lost and bringing them home, drawing us closer again and again and again. 
And he gives the son his own robe. The finest robe in the house would have been his robe to show that his son is welcome. He restores his son's ability to speak for the family again by giving him a signet ring. He can make statements for the family. He gives him power and he puts shoes on the son's feet to show that he is not a slave. And what the prodigal has experienced is grace. Unearnable, undeserved, uncountable grace. This is gospel gold. This is the true gospel. The lost are being found. The dead are rising. The sinners are grafted back to God. And this is where you'd expect the story to stop. It's a good ending. The older son, however, sits outside the party and refuses to go in. In Arab culture, even today, there's a tradition of the eldest son's role at a party is to kind of serve as, as host, complimenting guests as he works the room, refilling glasses, making sure plates are filled The son's refusal to go in and welcome his brother and welcome the guests is a shocking insult, not to his brother, but to his father. Remember at the beginning of the story of Esther, when Queen Vashti refuses the summons of the king? It doesn't go well for her. And we would expect, hearing this story in the ancient Near East or in the first century, it's not going to go well for the eldest son. The best the father could do is ignore the son, carry on with the party, or go out and rebuke him for insolence. But the father who just ran to save one son leaves the den of the party to save another, and he is met with venom. Listen, the son says, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you. And I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends." But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And here's what the older brother missed, and I don't want us to miss it either. He saw the party as a statement of what the younger son was worth, as he himself should have earned, in his own opinion. Mind you, he didn't want the goat so he could celebrate with the father. He wanted the goat so he could celebrate off with his friends. The difference between the older son and the younger son really isn't that far apart. What he saw, the party that he saw, was not a statement of the younger son's worth. In reality, the feast was an expression of the father's joy. And I don't want to treat this like an allegory, but I do want to make one moment of comparison here. Heaven is not your reward. It's not your reward for getting doctrine right. It's not your reward for being morally semi-pure. It's not your reward for not sinning as much as your neighbor. Heaven is the expression of God's joy. And he invites you to be a part. Luke Timothy Johnson says, But the last part of the commentary on the Pharisaic refusal, tout of envy and resentment to accept this good news to the extended, extended to the outcast. They, like the older son, stayed in the covenant, did not wander off. They had never broken any commandments. But the story suggests they saw themselves not as sons, but as slaves. 
and they resented others being allowed into the people without cost. Jesus' parable leaves us uneasy because it doesn't end. Does the older brother come inside? Does he celebrate? Can he accept the grace that's offered to him or the grace offered to his brother? The younger brother has lost, been lost and found, dead, then alive, but the older brother is also dead. Can he come to life? Our father does not want slaves, but children. And it's God's grace that makes us children. The curtain on this parable drops before we see the ending. And the question lingers. When the father counts the things that are most important, how many children does he count? Does he count you? And thanks be to God that we are sinking, that his grace is so deep we will never touch the bottom, that his love is so wide we will never travel to the end. Thanks be to God that his grace covers all our sins. And we stand with Paul and the prodigal and my deepest hopes and dreams, that elder son, because that's me. And we find ourselves living in love. And so this week, may you be graceful to everyone you meet. May you be kind and patient, because that's who God has been for us. Be filled with the Spirit and go in peace.